Hi, and welcome back. Today, I am super excited to have with us again, Mike Grogan. He is the Principal Consultant at Kaizen Leadership Asia. Mike has been based in the Philippines now for quite a number of years, and he specializes in management and leadership training, and he focuses specifically on developing talent and the Filipino workforce and talent within that. He works predominantly with Western employers, entrepreneurs, and businesses um, who have a Filipino team and are interested in getting the best out of their team. So we have a great conversation about all of the nuances of managing a Filipino workforce. Mike has just released, as this podcast goes to print, uh, a book which is called Managing Filipino Teams Without Needing to Micromanage. I highly recommend all of you check out this book. Uh, There's a lot of really interesting, really valuable information in there. Um, And of course, you know, we touch on all of this in this podcast. So as always, if you want to get a hold of the book or get a hold of Mike, go to our uh, show notes, which is at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Mike Rogan, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. How are you doing? Fantastic. Derek, I'm excited to be back and uh, talking about my favorite subject, the Philippines. <laughs> it really is a thrill to have you on the show. You're, you're somewhat of a, a celeb uh, in the scene somewhat, Mike. You've got enormous following. So it's uh, certainly exciting to have you on the Outsource Accelerator podcast. Mike, you coached me prior to this uh, to the podcast saying that we should start with something slightly controversial. So <laughs> I think I actually think all of your in some respect, all of your uh, the, the field that you focus on can be somewhat controversial. You 
really focus on uh, developing the Filipino workforce and, you know, really um, building the talent pool within the Filipino workforce. And uh, I happen to know as well, you're, you're writing a book now or about to re-release a book on that topic. Um, and it can be a difficult subject sometimes to generalize about the traits or pros and cons of certain people or their work routines or habits. So um, I'll let you start. What, what, um, what, what is one lesson that you've that has really stuck out to you in terms of the the differences or I suppose differences of um, harnessing the Filipino workforce? Whew, thanks for that loaded question. Um, so much lessons that I've learned and so many failures. And you're right, Derek, of making these assumptions are, is dangerous. The topic of culture, especially if you have negative things to say about someone else's culture, it's like you're offending their mother and it can be very provoking. And I think... Um, to set expectations, it's all what will make this maybe this episode more receptive to the audience is to understand the intent. I know there's a lot of foreigners out there that say a lot of negative things about the Philippines and they're coming from a very pessimistic perspective. And my intent with this conversation with you is, yes, we might talk about some of the challenging parts of the culture that's holding back uh, high performing mindsets and behaviors, but definitely the intention is coming from a good place. Um, I, the reason I'm in the Philippines and I want to stay in the Philippines because I really believe, similar to you, the potential of this country to become first world in our lifetime. Um, we're seeing such tremendous growth, so much potential, so much a young population. Um, and I've, I'm very optimistic, um, and, but yet grounded at the same time about the Philippines. So when we talk about mistakes, I think one of my biggest mistakes uh, would be assuming that um, what made me successful in other countries when it comes to you know, building high-performing teams or coaching and training would also work here in the Philippines. And I think that's by me, been my number one mistake. Um, despite my open-mindedness, I still had a lot of assumptions grounded in either Western philosophy, Western management, or Japanese, because my background is in, in Kaizen and Lean. So as much as possible, I, I want to help leaders. Um, I think a great first step is how can you help see your own blind spots. So if you're leading a team of 12 or 12,000, uh, the faster you can see your own cultural blind spots, um, the faster you can uh, come up with uh, solutions that actually really address the root causes. And that's something if I were to go back in time, I wish I would spend far more time seeing these cultural blind spots. And one tip I got is actually a great place to start is actually study your own uh, culture of blind spots. So let's say if you're from Denmark, uh, study... Uh, read about uh, culture shock Denmark, what foreigners are saying, what it's like to work with Danes. <laughs> mm. I'm Irish, as you can get from my accent. So I really enjoyed reading books about uh, non-Irish people, about their work experience in Ireland. And um, it's nice to see that it's in terms of my own blind spots, because it makes me empathetic uh, to the Philippines as well. A, a lot of Westerners are quick to criticize when they see Filipinos perhaps not speaking up or taking ownership and, or accountability to levels they would expect so it's really helped me to deep dive on where are these assumptions coming from? And that's really the definition of a culture. It's the unwritten assumptions that people make when it comes to making decisions and solving problems. So the more you can understand that um, philosophy and that culture, uh, the more you can be of greater influence to your team. So really happy to go into some best practices in detail or wherever you want to take this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating It's a fascinating topic, I think, Mike, because management training and getting the best out of people and 
um, you know, kind of HR and management fundamentals or, or philosophies, they in themselves are quite esoteric and nuanced and qualitative. You know, these are very sort of, I suppose, not fluffy, but touchy feely things. And then when you also add to it a further sort of um, subjective analysis of culture and how does a person's mm. culture and upbringing and country and education contribute towards um, that team dynamic and the and you know finding the best um, performance for a team it becomes a super kind of it's complex isn't it and you can't really put your finger on any of it necessarily because all of it is based in nuance and sort of qualitative observations but it really is there isn't it it really does exist but it's just it's yep. just not really you you can't sort of touch it and feel it so much exactly yeah and it, and it shows up if you neglect it it shows up ultimately in results and sustainability and frustrating scenarios like your one of your top performers resigning unexpectedly or complaining of burnout when you feel like you've given her all the support that she needed but yet She's still not opening up of what's really happening. And we hear these stories time and time again. Um, there's obviously, post-pandemic, there's been a massive shift in workforce expectations. Um, people are talking about a resignation pandemic to hit the Philippines, or maybe it's already there for a lot of companies worried about retention. So the more um, you can understand the psychology, the, the driving forces, what's influencing these decisions, the more you'll be able to influence where you can. Obviously, there's some cases where, you just, there's nothing the leader can do to convince a high performer to stay or or maybe the, their team has hit a certain a ceiling of high performance. But there's a lot of in your control, and that's where I, I do want to take the conversation to land it in a place where, hey, what's practical steps that leaders can take? Um, once again, regardless of the team size, regardless of the nature of the team's work, uh, assuming they're all virtual, or even if a couple of companies are back in the office, there is some best practices that we have seen to work in the vast majority of cases in the Philippines uh, with Filipino uh, workforce. Things are so quickly changing globally now, isn't it? Because, you know, people are talking about the great resignation, the great reset. It's kind of like a renaissance for the working class. You know, people are now deciding they don't want to work or they want to reskill or uptrain, mm-hmm. change, you know, and that's happening all over the world. Uh, so it's, and, you know, of course, there's people sort of being, confronted and challenged by the new work norms, remote work, and people are also deciding whether they want to sort of trudge into an office every day. So it's it's yeah. all up for grabs at the moment. Mike, I do want to go back and just get a little bit of sort of insight into your background, um, you know, what you know about Kaizen and kind of where we're coming from foundationally, and then we'll sort of dig into some of the, the, the insights and hacks. Okay. So uh, I guess the, the short version is I run a consultancy company here in the Philippines called Kaizen Leadership Asia. I have a team of about a dozen consultants and coaches that work for me. And we specialize in typically Western-owned companies, helping them create more uh, accountable, proactive, and resilient teams uh, without needing to micromanage. We don't, um, obviously, that's the biggest red flag. We don't want to guide teams into that. How can we create that level of reliance and consistency and high performance that these leaders are looking for um, without having to be create overwhelm or, um, yeah, unsustainable results. So that's been my focus for the last uh, seven years here in the Philippines. And as I've mentioned before, many mistakes. Um, I, I thought that a lot of the best practices that um, uh, work for me when I worked in Europe and America and even in Africa would work here, and some of them have and others haven't been. 
And I really do point at the culture gap as one of those things. And as even as I traveled across the region as well, done some work for companies in Malaysia and Indonesia, I see a lot of similarities here. So there's a lot of, um, if, you can, if I can use the word sister cultures in Southeast Asia, that um, are, I have very similar traits um, to the Philippines. Um, and I'm not to say that obviously you can't stereotype the entire Filipino workforce since there is variation um, from the north to south, east to west, just like in any other, like in Europe or America. But I think there is power in generalizations. I know it's dangerous to say that in woke culture times, <laughs> Derek, but there, I, I think it's dangerous to throw out generalizations. Um, in, it's in difficult, the- isn't it? Because generalizations are generally correct i mean that even that can be a offensive kind of but i don't know <laughs> yeah there, well the important thing is to recognize there is exceptions like as i mentioned before like dutch people are the tallest nationality in the world um but however you will find some filipinos that are taller than the average dutch person so there is outliers so for me when i was writing the book i had to be extremely careful to present facts in a way that i wasn't generalizing and the entire mm-hmm. workforce, but really focusing on what's the majority or uh, what's most uh, the most common situations that affect most teams in the Philippines. And I, I'm grateful that um, the feedback from the re- readers has been extremely positive in terms of it's actually have been affirming. And even though Derek, the book is targeting Westerners and those that have are leaders of Western-owned companies, uh, <laughs> you'll find this interesting. The the most dominant reader group is actually Filipino. And a lot of the, these Filipinos have told me just the curiosity factor was so um, high for them when they saw the book cover to see mm. what outsiders are saying about their culture. And a lot of Filipinos have telling me that they're seeing things. It's like, you know, what's that, you know, that story about the fish when two fish are passing each other and one guy goes, Hey, how's the water? And the other goes, you know, rolls his eyes going, what, do you mean, what does he mean by water? <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's you just, it's in the air, the culture. It's like, you know, when you're, if you, I, well, I don't smoke, but you know, the, the way smokers yeah. can't smell smoke mm-hmm. from their own clothes. It's kind mm-hmm. of like that. And it's when someone points it out, um, points to the wallpaper on the wall and the pros and cons, and it's not all pessimistic. Um, it was very refreshing. So that was really inspiring, aff- affirming for me to get that feedback that we're really hitting on something that's um, going to help leaders guide their teams. And of course, you know, any organization needs leadership and management training. You know, it, it, you need a conscious approach to how you run your team, your people, build a culture. Like this stuff doesn't just happen, does it? And managers aren't just born. They, you know, yeah. they need to educate and train. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting, really. I suppose we can dive into it now, but how does it really differ like you have management fundamentals and then you're really just sort of pulling out the strengths and weaknesses for this particular demographic where you need to sort of emphasize some things and de-emphasize other things is that is that your approach oh yeah i mean i want to highlight um there's universal principles of leadership similar to parenting that are applicable to every culture and no Organism like the, the the Norwegians say can say oh no the, these universal principles don't apply to us we're different everyone likes to think they're different but obviously there's universal principles but I I love what you said there it's the intensity level and to give a specific example um, absolutely when people talk to me about what's the one thing that needs to be improved the most in in Filipino society Filipino workforce it's definitely for me psychological safety 
And this is, this is something you really can compare to Western countries um, where there's a massive gap. Mm. Um, because the average, once again, I'm going to the average Filipino worker. There is this fear, um, fear of speaking up. And it comes from the hierarchy, comes from their school, their parents, their grandparents, all the way. Fear of um, if they do speak up, they might lose face. Um, if they do even bring in new ideas, they, they may be shamed in front of their team. So there is a, like a default culture of shaming. And that's very high in Southeast Asia um, cultures. And if leaders don't recognize that, um, so let's, let's tip a typical Westerner. If he just copies or she just copies and pastes her leadership style, um, how she leads in North America compared to our Philippine team, there's a high risk of failure. Because in the Philippines, the, the leader needs to emphasize more on psychological safety. I would argue 10 times more on building these um, micro behaviors of psychological safety so that they can, um, the other universal best practices of, of uh, management and leadership can be, be successful. Because if you don't, then no matter what you, what's the point in implementing a, a international best practice, if team members are still afraid that if they make a mistake, they're going to be shouted at. And yeah. because and you hear these stories all the time, where um, leaders are super frustrated that they find out about a problem and then it's too late to act, or they're thinking, why wasn't this told to me weeks ago? Because if they if they found out weeks ago, they've been able to prevent it in the first place. So that's what I mean by psychological safety. How can you create that environment where each the vast majority of employees feel safe to open up and be vulnerable and not have these. Uh, these fear of shaming or being blamed, et cetera, that's really prevalent um, in the folks that work for government, folks that work for the f- big family-owned companies here. It is, and it's, you might think you have a great leadership program, and I'm not to criticize any leader here, uh, but it's also being aware of, uh, are you bringing in people that potentially may have bad habits from their mm. predecessor? Um, and I think as well, it, it's being aware of your own cultural disposition and Mm. personal disposition and how that will impact your Filipino team because you might just be acting normally and your intent might be wonderful but to a sort of um, a young Filipino staff worker um, it could be incredibly intimidating you know like a a big tall executive white guy who who is sort of for all intents and purposes, being friendly, but it's it's incredibly intimidating, isn't it? You know, like yeah. um, sort of Australians I'm thinking of, like they can be very sort of vociferous and um, yeah. very sort of forward and that's just not how Filipinos typically interact and communicate yeah. and um, this is then going to be their boss and they've got to impress this person and, and it can all just be a little bit overwhelming. It, Mike, I think it's fantastic that you are um, sort of trying to attend to this because Everyone that has had a Filipino workforce, I think, has realized this and seen this. And it's almost, it almost requires, and I tell our clients this and anyone I talk to, you know, it requires a certain kind of translation. It's not language translation because they speak perfect English, but it is a cultural translation. You know, do you come on strong? Do you, mm. you know, are you more gentle? Um, do you actively include people or you know do you just let them be and and it's kind of this almost a rosetta stone of Mm. how do you work how do you get a team to work effectively you know and it's it is actually very different isn't it it's very different to a bunch of american millennials or australian millennials it's Mm. kind of it's needing that translation isn't it 
you know, recently had a conversation with a, uh, a leader of a big uh, multinational here, and, and he told me he had about 30 or 40 different multinational, um, different nationalities here in the Philippines. And he, he not to criticize, but he was criticizing some of the culture orientation training that leaders get when they come on board. Because, you, know, you know, they get the, the PowerPoint deck or, you know, the, the, here's the cultural differences and they nod their head, but they don't really make adjustments to their behavior. And <laughs> mm. um, to, to do exactly what you said, um, they typically understand, okay, there's differences, but they don't translate, okay, what does that mean to me? Not, not everyone, of course, there's exception, mm. but most people, it's just, you know, death by PowerPoint and then, you know, tick box, you know, for intercultural training. What I have found, I, I, what I've, my advice to him was to approach it from a different way. And I, and this is the, probably the number one best practice that I've learned here is um, we call it psychological mapping and it's similar to uh, 360 feedback, but it's done a slightly a bit differently. But uh, every leader of a Filipino team, the more you can get your team to give you your blind spots, give you honest feedback, wow, you're in, you're such an advantage compared to the leader that just makes assumptions. And I think my own journey here, um, asking my team, um, and this took time to, to create a safe environment for them, but what are my, as a foreigner living in your country, what are the small things I can do to work better with Filipinos? That one question, wow, that gave me so much insights. Mm. Um, so much insights on really small culture blind spots that I really had zero way of knowing because um, I didn't know that my my default habits of interacting with people, whether my the tone of my voice or my energy level or my hand movement for, for someone else is a, creating a different story in their head. So I think how you can collect that data can be your single biggest competitive advantage when it comes to customizing your leadership style to your Filipino team. And obviously to respect the variation within your Filipino team. Some will be more extroverted, introverted. So if you can get that real-time feedback, collected in a confidential way where you know you're getting honest answers. Um, I've seen so many aha moments. It's like a hundred times more powerful than a generic mm-hmm. uh, PowerPoint training where, you know, here's the differences. But when you actually get someone to personalize it, this is how people feel about interacting with you, Mr. Leader or Mrs. Leader. Then it makes it, um, the case for change is a lot higher. And the likelihood of them actually making minor adjustments to their behavior to accommodate is a lot higher. So that's, uh, a best practice that I highly recommend companies, whether it's a company, once again, a, a tiny team of just 10 or a team of a, a thousand, um, especially when, once again, it's not just focused on the senior leader. You want you want to get this type of feedback on anyone that's leading a team within your organization because mm. there is no, so even a company that's you know number one in their industry and they're boasting about how engaged their team are, you're going to have pockets of, of uh disengagement within your organization or pockets where there's going to be a big variation. Some teams will be higher engaged. And usually the primary factor is the interaction of the team with the leader. That for me is the definition of culture in terms of how the leader interacts, whether it's a supervisor or manager, how that person interacts on a daily basis with their team. And I could see this thing, I could see this is very difficult to scale because when you get that corporate cultural training, you know, and it is in a PowerPoint slide deck and it's just being repeated, wrote, then, you know, like culture is so nuanced and how you approach it is so nuanced. And it really, again, you know, there's all these outlier examples and people all want to be treated as individuals, not as just, you know, one Mm. sort of clump of people. 
it's it's a very difficult kind of subject, isn't it? And what I'm always amazed at, you know, you have to, as a manager, you have to consider the personality types, the culture of your team and respond accordingly. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might have half introverts and half extroverts, but then also there's the own, there's the consideration of the manager themselves, for example, that I don't think is often considered enough in that the manager could be highly extroverted or highly introverted. And then so the manager not only needs to sort of, you know, reflect on their own preferences and norms, but then also adjust for each of the preferences and norms of each of them in the team. Gosh, it's mm. complicated, isn't it? <laughs> but I suppose if, if there's those frameworks, you know, then that then that yeah. really helps, doesn't it? And then it kind of guides you through. And as you say, it's really, it's really um, encouraging that uh, dialogue and getting the feedback and the visibility, which in itself is quite, it sounds normal sort of management spiel, I suppose. But in the Philippines, I I would think that uh, staff generally aren't asked for their opinion of their senior managers, for example. Yeah, hundred percent. And once again, looking at that average company, like government, um, most of the private companies, the brutal reality there is outliers. But the brutal reality, 80, if not 90%, there is a, oh, it break your heart to, to see how people are treated. Um, it's like a class system. And um, I suppose to like paint a picture of that, it, it is, it's, again, it's hard to generalize, but yeah. what you are looking at in the Philippines is a far more traditional kind of workplace, far more hierarchical, um, is that, you know, and, and far more the juniors are just told what to do, not to think. Is that kind of a fair summary it is it's prevalent <laughs> i know that's yeah it's a controversial question but i mean i mean maybe a, i can turn this into a question like can you what what are the we'll ultimately go into this but what are then the striking differences in i suppose the workplace and then we can look at the striking differences of the culture if that if that works okay well what gives me hope here just to once again just take one step back is a lot of especially the Western-owned companies here, they have a huge opportunity to set a new standard of excellence for um, how a workforce should be organized and how we should treat employees. Um, And I think that's what excites me for working with Western-owned companies here, that um, even if your employees do leave or leaders in your teams do leave, they go on to, when they create their own businesses or join other organizations, they tend to infect those other organizations with these best practices. So that's what excites me in terms of we have an amazing opportunity, not just to, you know, the profit, um, the joy of your work, but also really make a difference in, in this society. Because the dark side of it, as we mentioned, is, yeah, the vast majority of employees that work for the big Filipino-owned companies, um, the family-owned companies, the government, certainly the government, they're not highly engaged, unfortunately. A very few of them are actually on the, on the are fast-tracked. To, uh, on the uh, on a ladder, but the rest really just put in minimal effort. Um, I know it's heartbreaking, and these are controversial statements. Of course, there is outliers, but there is this um, tradition, and it's not just in the Philippines. Of course, it's uh, the uh, the concept here of of equality. It's a, we have a different definition of equality. Um, Westerners highly value equality, and the you know the motto the best person should get the job. That's not always the case here. And people idealistic say, okay, that's a noble idea in Asia, but obviously cronyism and nepotism is huge here. And it's brutal reality that a lot of people get promoted and get into companies 
not because of their merit, but because of connections. Um, and that could be quite demoralizing. You can imagine if you're a high performer um, and you're not getting a chance. So the, the traditional uh, um, worker in a traditional Filipino company, uh, they're not full, they have very low psychological safety. There's a massive fear. And every time I've, I've done webinars uh, over the pandemic, and we, I think a few months ago we hit over 15,000 um, participants attended our webinars. And 98% of them are all Filipino professionals. I always ask the question, one of the survey questions, have you ever worked in a toxic work environment? And 95% of them respond saying yes. And, and that, that really breaks my heart and inspires me as well that we can, there's so much opportunity to change that. Because I, I, obviously I see the connection to um, the quality of life. Well, you know, I think every, every listener knows this. I, I can't see someone claiming to have a great life if they're, if they're so demoralized by their work. Um, and maybe that's one of the advantages of the Great Reset, going back to what we said, that more and more people are actually challenging. So I do hope that the standards um, uh, of you know, how to treat a worker are now gone up. That said, it's going to be harder for leaders. And actually it is. I think if you speak to any leader now, um, compared to where we were five years ago or 10 years ago, I think the vast majority of leaders will recognize that it's harder to lead uh, in today than it ever has been and I think it's going back to what we said about these raise these increasing standards that employees have um, but the good news is for leaders that are up for the challenge uh, you can differentiate yourself um, by your culture by how you treat your employees not by giving away free coffee or <laughs> Starbucks or, or karaoke I mean I, I like to think these are not bad things but they're like Christmas decorations but the real core of culture is how you interact with each other on a day-to-day basis, those conversations. And I've, I've gone back to what I said earlier, like it's, a, it's just amazing, a small improvements to um, psychological safety in an organization can have a huge impact on performance. And I was shocked, because this is something I learned, I didn't um, know this coming in, um, but it was one of the biggest things I realized that like even as simple as a culture of appreciation, that doesn't, like the average Filipino can go for years without getting any external validation. And I really mean this, they, they don't get validated by their parents, their workmates, um, their boss, they never get that positive feedback, oh, you're doing a good job, keep it up, or you've got potential. A lot of them, super high performers, but filled with so much self-doubt, not because they're bad people, but the culture doesn't, and this is, a, this is where I have a love and hate relationship with the Philippines, uh, because you hear stories all the time of a Filipino, going overseas and absolutely thriving, absolutely thriving in terms of um, the, the, getting to the top of their profession. But the place where Filipinos struggle the most is in their own country. And that shouldn't be. That shouldn't mm. be. But, and I, I think it's not because of the talents of the individual, but really is the, the management philosophy or leadership philosophy, whatever that philosophy is of leadership, that's really crushing this uh, extraordinary talent. So that's why I'm, I guess I'm so passionate about these conversations and and trying to learn best practices from from you, from people I speak with, because I think small changes, small improvements into leadership can have a massive impact on um, the engagement level and performance of, of your team, and, uh, but also, of course, their, their work-life balance and their quality of life. So I guess I ac- accidentally shared some of my motivations there with you, Derek. My apologies. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it's, you know, it's interesting that you keep on coming back to psychological safety, and I think there's a, a a wide range of 
different character traits and and things to consider and you know communication things but you know it seems that what you're saying about psychological safety it's almost like the um gosh what is it the skeleton key for all of them like they need that as the foundation and then all of the other ones can be unlocked you know all of the sort of user initiative and skill enhancement and communication enhancement if they don't have the psychological safety then none of that is going to progress whereas if you if you unlock or you know affirm the psychological safety then everything else can then fall in place yeah and and it really goes back to the the law of success if you want to say it it's it's 80 psychological and only 20 percent the skills or the the tactics or whatever the strategies you implement but 80 percent is that mindset and this that's the biggest thing um westerners and people listening to this call even if you're a filipino leader listen to this call how can you make your team feel safer and it's just amazing small changes done there can really increase the level of ownership because that's, I guess, why I'm excited about this topic is a lot of people, um, it's, you know, like a headache and you're just constantly taking painkillers, <laughs> uh, but actually doing the root cause analysis, okay, why is this headache being um, re- repeating itself? Whether it's, um, you know, teams not taking accountability or not escalating problems, what's the real root cause? And when you find that and when you implement best practices, it's really, it just creates so much joy. And what gives me a lot of hope and just, because uh, I don't want to overwhelm leaders with all of these, um, you know, black and white comparisons. But what really gives me hope is, because uh, my team coach hundreds of leaders every year. And what we've noticed is um, big changes happen not when the leader completely radically changes their philosophy. Uh, what I mean by this is we've noticed that just small changes from leaders, and um, obviously consistently, that's what has the biggest impact. Uh, on an organization and for some leader it could be just they change two small things about how they interact with their team on a day-to-day basis and those two small things had the ripple effect of um, what we call you know keystone habits or foundational habits that had that that allowed so much success to happen in the organization so it can be overwhelming at the beginning but once you get into it and once you actually just like a surgeon once you really get into where the root cause is then your corrective surgery can be laser focused and I think to criticize myself going back seven years ago, my biggest fault was not doing a proper diagnosis um, of, of the clients I was working with. I was, um, uh, yeah, I was partially doing a diagnosis, but, but then jumping straight to my prescription that worked for me in other countries. So the more you do that an accurate diagnosis with the root causes, then your interventions will um, be more, more likely to stick. And obviously that's what we want, real behavioral change, not just uh, the short-term stuff where you just... We go <laughs> the next Monday. We forget about it. Mm-hmm. And changing that culture, do you, you know? Is it important to have a unified single culture throughout a global business, or do you need to fine tune a culture to to each of the uh, domains? You know, and then so do Filipinos need a very different work culture and approach to their Western counterparts? So you know, do you, do you kind of need to structure everything completely different, or you know, and then how do you, how do you actually get the two teams working together if um, if there are these sort of differences that everyone needs to observe? Yeah, so th- that's a great question because there's a strong argument to say that you can implement, you can have a universal set of values, and it's how you implement those values could be different from a, a regional perspective. But definitely, I work with many multinational companies. And it's the same set of values they have across the organization. The key is where most organizations fail is how 
these these values are interpreted. So I, I think a problem is, and I see is if someone, let's say it's a Filipino worker or a Canadian worker, whatever your, let's say their company value is uh, extreme ownership. If they don't make the connection to their own personal value system, to that value of ownership, um, then, then it fails. So it doesn't matter what the company value is. So I think it's really about the tactical piece on the ground. Definitely there's some universal stuff that can be applied regardless of geography and even regardless of division. One could be in sales and marketing and another could be in um, research and development. Definitely possible to share common values, but it's to be really sensitive about the how question. Okay, how does application of these values look in our specific um demographic and our specific uh, function uh, of in in the in the big picture of the company so i think that's where the the focus should be not necessarily on ch- customizing values or high level strategies per geography more ap- on the application and what are some of the other really key takeaways and kind of the action points or things that uh whatever managers team owners need to really look out for identify you know what are those key Diagnostics, I suppose, Mike. Is that at the beginning or? Um, well, yeah, you know, yeah, certainly at the beginning, I think, because I think people, I think the common journey is that people just, you know, go in with the best intentions. And I suppose the best naive intention is to say, I'm going to treat these people exactly as I treat my own team. And yeah. I think theoretically you know that is the best approach isn't it you go i'm going to give them all the best and everything that i do for my own team and then it's it's sort of quite difficult for people to realize actually that's the wrong approach like how would you for those that are new to the game how are what are they meant to look out for because it's actually there's actually an aspect of train the trainer isn't it you you actually yeah. need to train the boss first like how to yeah. how to work with the team what are some of those major yeah. things mike so th- thank you. And I, I definitely see c- connections to parenting as well in terms of uh, the advice I got as a, as a first-time parent, the, how you parent the first child could be very different to how you parent the second child and third, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone is a unique approach. So definitely there's dangers in just going copy-paste of your, your leadership style. So definitely thanks for highlighting that. I guess my single biggest tip at the beginning, and I'm actually working with two leaders now that are in two different um two different parts of their journey. One is just one year into leading their team um, and the other is just starting. Um, he just started this month w- with his team. And my kind of advice is very similar to both of them <laughs> is how can you get honest, honest feedback about um, the, how, they f- how your team really feel about the things that matter most to you. So uh, like, f- for example, these leaders that I'm working with, we do this thing called psychological mapping where we anonymously collect feedback from the team about how they feel, um, how they feel about their job, how they feel about their work colleagues and how they feel about interacting with their manager. And we, we coach them because um, the criticism of 360 feedback is sometimes you get vague uh, answers that are, oh, he needs to be more um, proactive or he needs to be more present. And then you're kind of scratching your head, Derek, going, well, what does this mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. So how we kind of do this process is we make it really, we th- begin with the end in mind. What type of feedback would be most useful? Because um, uh, vague feedback can actually do more damage than, than good because you can just frustrate the people involved and no action is taken. And then people feel like, oh, well, I've, I've given this feedback, but nothing's changed. 
So if you can create that safe environment and if you're a new leader asking these questions like, what are the things I need to be aware of? What advice do you have for me? Um, even you know the, the psychology of asking for feedback. Sometimes you don't have to don't use the word feedback because people have a negative association with that one word feedback. Um, mm. It could be the way you ask the question. Hey, what suggestions or advice to me do you have about um, um, next year about how I can improve my interaction with you or the rest of the team? Um, for example, another thing we um, just these are just examples of questions. So let's say you're a leader and you're going to implement a new change to the team very soon. A question that we have found extremely helpful is uh, getting them to think, we call it, we use the word sharks. <laughs> uh, what sharks do you see um, about this particular change? And sharks is a code word for worries, concerns, fears. Um, and it's amazing that if you don't do that exercise, there's a high risk that the team will not surface to you um, issues that really will affect the actual execution of this particular initiative that you want. Um, so we usually get them to surface their problems. Okay, what ch problems would people have um, about this change when it comes to themselves, when it comes to others, uh, the change itself? The more you can do these exercises, and sometimes the best way to do these exercises is not be in the room. Uh, uh, sometimes just get someone else from outside your department to facilitate these sessions. Every mm -hmm. time we've, we've done this with leaders, they've always um, have had aha moments, if you will those insights because the the default of the culture and, and this is where you have to fight against it is not to give honest feedback to the boss you will be foolish to give direct and honest feedback to the boss because the boss will punish you there'll be retaliation your career will suffer um it, it's just wired into them so to just bluntly go in, into a virtual room and tell hey guys give me feedback it's you're also going to be a victim of group thinking so group thinking is where the vast majority of people are waiting to find out what what does everyone else think, and then yeah, yeah I agree with that. And as also, well. kind of defensive answers. Yeah, they give you an answer because the, yeah. an answer has been demanded. You know, instead of it actually being an answer they want to give or an answer that mm -hmm. has been considered, it, it's more sort of a defensive position. Do you think? You know, um, I don't know if this is a true assertion, but. Fundamentally, to me, the Filipinos seem slightly more introverted. Now, I don't know if that's a you know that's a generalization of a generalization, but generally, when you are introverted, not talking about the Filipinos here, you don't necessarily want to stand at the front of a room and give your opinion. Now, you know, and so if you take that and sort of put that to the Filipinos, if they're if they're more comfortable sort of in a meeting, listening instead of participating, and you know, kind of being more internal as opposed to being up the front of the classroom and sharing. Is that something that should necessarily be uh, engineered different? Or, you know, is, is should we just maybe say, should we just maybe sort of work on the fact that the, the Filipino team members, they're going to be a bit more quieter and sit, you know, in the back of the room, but they're still doing great work? Well, a Westerner has the assumption, not all, but a lot of Westerners have the assumption that the person who is um, outspoken is the person that's been most pro proactive, the person mm -hmm. who's like sharing their opinions and everything. And we tend to, unfortunately, um, discredit the silent person in the room. Oh, why aren't they speaking up? Are they afraid? And maybe we, we don't give them as much opportunity to grow. So that's a big mistake that us Westerners make. We, we project our Western behaviors onto Filipinos. Um, so for me, the biggest blessing of lockdown is the breakout feature in, uh, in whether it be Microsoft Teams or Zoom, whatever platform you're using, oh, I heavily, heavily recommend leaders 
to um, to use that feature. Um, like even I meet with my team twice a week, and we always start off with small breakout rooms um, to share. Hey, everyone, just checking in each other um, in terms of sharing their joy or, or if they have gone through any struggles. Ten minutes, then we're back in the main room. But I, I think that's a huge feature um, that's going to help your team become more pro- productive. The more you spend. This could be a measure of effectiveness. <laughs> the more you spend in the big common room, um, the, the likelihood of you getting actual what's really happening and getting people to speak up could be significantly lower versus going for a potentially slower approach, but more effective of finding the balance between using breakout rooms, whether it be one-on-one or small groups, and then uh, captains to surface issues and then uh, you know discussing them in the big room. We found that very helpful in getting... Um, Filipinos to open up and really it surprised me that we can like I, here's an example we if we were to t- do a training program and let's say we had a half day workshop back in back in the old days in a, in a conference room today we can do it virtually at almost half the time um, because it's far more effective with the rooms and the and the interaction we can create so there is big advantages of of, of going online and using these features because it's almost a you're just throwing yourself up to the victims of the culture by just ma- remaining in the big room. And cause yeah, a lot of stuff won't be, and how do I say this? Even there's this thing called smart shaming as well. So it's not just fear of getting things wrong, but you don't you'll be, you be, can also be teased in this culture for trying to suck up to the boss. And <laughs> um, mm. so there's, a, you, you could label this as childish, but it is what it is. It's part of the culture here that some people are going to, Favoritism is a big thing. So many times leaders tell me they're so frustrated with getting feedback about accusations of favoritism. Um, but it's a real, once again, it's, it, it may not be the reality from the Westerner's perspective, but it's the story in the head of your Filipino team member that they think that you have a favoritism over this person and that's maybe one of the reasons why they're disengaged. So it's always good to, to leverage different techniques so you can get people, even if you don't agree with them, that maybe that's not the... The biggest point. Many times you don't have to act on the advice, but Filipinos greatly, greatly appreciate uh, the opportunity to be listened to empathetically and to have their voice uh, understood. And I think that small step that you do to um, to let let their voices be heard can have huge um, uh, downstream value when it comes to sustainability of the changes that you want to implement. Um, so that's one of the mistakes I've made in the past of going straight to implementation and just assuming uh, silence means, oh, everyone's on board with this or the nodding of heads. And obviously, you know, you know this, Derek. Uh, yeah, that's that's a huge it's a, mistake. It's all a fascinating topic because, you know, even just that you mentioned on a side note there, everything's going digital. And I think that almost empowers the introverts more because, mm. you know, I think people have a lot more um, confidence to type into a text chat, you know, whereas the sort of more introverted people, they wouldn't want to stand up in front of a classroom, but they're probably more comfortable talking into uh, Zoom or a text chat. So it, the dynamics of all of this are, are fast changing, aren't they? It's, 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 and, you know, you could spend kind of days just talking about any aspect of this. So, Mike, all this leads me to ask, you know, there's because there's the growing sort of uh, discontent of the working, you know, it seems like the, the sort of workers are uprising across the world and there is this sort of um, people are kind of reassessing what work means and whether they have to go to work and whether it's going to be remote or the great resignation. And 
things like this. Um, is it all becoming a little bit too woke, Mike? You know, are we like gone are the days where people went to work because they had to go to work and they had to earn the money. It was not always about this vocational kind of hobby where people had to feel completely fulfilled every minute of the day. Now, I'm sort of devil's advocate a little bit, but, you know, uh, is it possible that the sort of the scales can tip a little bit too far one way? Of course, uh, absolutely. I think we're seeing that now in how uh, divided um, the Western world is, um, you know, left and right, and uh, people on the extreme left are uh, annihilating <laughs> the people that are also liberals, um, who are also being frustrated by people that are maybe taking it too far, and the same on the right as well. So we've got a lot of, um, I think, obviously, there's overall some good steps done, but um yeah, there's a chance that we could be over overdoing it and creating a lot of damage uh, at the same time. So, yeah, I, I think that the key thing for leaders here is to how can you increase the listening in your organization as a leader? How can you avoid people projecting um, um, a lot of this thing that's happening with culture? How can they avoid projecting that to you, that you're, let's say, oh, you're being elitist or you're being superior, not listening to us? That accusation, even that accusation that um, if you're not um, proactively involved in anti-racism, that if you're not proactively involved, people will accuse you of being a racist. <laughs> so these are very sensitive times you're in. And I think um, there's a lot we can be frustrated about and be disillusioned about the way how people are divided on these issues. But I think the key thing is mostly you're still uh, the biggest thing in your control. Is despite this external pressure, you can still have the biggest say in what your culture of your, your team will be. Whether it's a team of five Filipino workers or if it's a team of 5,000, um, that interaction, that, that need for respect for, um, that comes from psychological safety and appreciation, that's in 100 years from now, that's still going to be there. Um, so what I would like to go, kind of end on is to go back to those fundamental human needs that um, small changes in leadership style or, or leadership mindset can have a huge impact on engaging the workforce. So the leaders that invest in that, in themselves, in increasing their self-awareness on this, um, not getting caught up on the kind of the labels of today, but really focus on, on these human needs. I, I think they're going to create us the high-performing teams that will that Filipinos will want to work for. So yes, I think the standards are getting higher, but now you have a chance to shine by guiding your team um, in terms of creating this high performance and fighting against the negative parts of the external culture that you don't want in your team. Fascinating, mate. And it's incredible that it's always evolving, isn't it? It's always it's always changing. You know, this isn't really static. It's it's changing as, as culture does. But, Mike, so your book, Managing Filipino Teams Without Needing to Micromanage, that's coming out soon? You're releasing that soon? Yeah. By the time this podcast is out, if folks can, I guess, go to your show notes or whatever and get the link. Um, I'm yeah, happy yeah, yeah. to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm happy, I'll share the link to the book as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, say, I, say, so where can where can people go to find it? And, you know, I encourage everyone to um, obviously check out Mike, check out his book, check out all of his content, um, you know, and really it, it, it's fantastic that there's someone here really focusing on this and really looking to optimize teams. How can they, how can they, where can they find you, Mike? Well, the fastest way is LinkedIn, Mike Grogan, G-R-O-G-A-N on LinkedIn. And then my website, kaizenleadershipasia.com. Uh, I'm always excited to start conversations with people 
regarding this topic. It is my favorite topic in the world. And every leader I interact with, whether it be North America, Europe, Australia, I always learn a lot from their experiences. And that's why the book is really the credit of, of the hundred plus interviews that I've done with uh, Westerners who have gone, made painful mistakes, just like myself, and come out with some very insightful tips and tactics. And that's what the content of the book is, sharing as many practical strategies. And some are controversial, so I, uh, <laughs> uh, I think we talked about this. I mean, it's, it's very dangerous for me to release a book like this. Because uh, as I mentioned, when you talk negatively about um, dark sides of a culture, you're going to expose yourself to to people throwing rocks and saying, it, well, it's a bit graceless for you know a white guy to be talking about this. And So I had to be very um, careful when writing the book, but I'm gl- grateful the positive feedback we've received so far, that the intentions are good and to he- help leaders to really create these role models, uh, cultures where their team is high performing. And despite of all the crazy changes we're seeing and on the big picture globally when it comes to you know the shifts in culture and um, that you have still as leaders have a great opportunity to protect your team from the negative parts of the culture uh, the generic culture and to really um, create something that's very special that's going to help you achieve your business goals and give you more freedom and <laughs> heavily emphasize no need to micromanage because uh, nothing is more frustrating than get, you know getting involved in your business and now you need to follow up and micromanage your team. So this is definitely about liberating yourself and your team from false beliefs and um, micromanagement techniques so that you can get the best of your team and, of course, sustainable results that come with that. So, yes, happy to connect with your audience on LinkedIn and have these conversations. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing them and maybe having virtual coffee, wherever that may be. Fantastic. I I can't recommend it enough. And I'm certainly looking forward to reading the book myself. Uh, I appreciate it, Derek. And your input is always ever greatly appreciated. Thank you for what you do for the outsourcing community around the world. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, Derek. That was Mike Grogan, Principal Consultant at Kaizen Leadership Asia. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.